Um, Leslie's going to come on up here and um, let me pray for her. And I love your sweatshirt. Y'all look at that cute created sweatshirt right there. (laughs) But let me pray for Leslie. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for our time in Genesis and how you have shown us your faithfulness over and over again. Lord, we pray for Leslie right now. Father, we pray that you would speak through her. And we thank you for her willingness to share with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Morning, girls. Um, since I just had the May Day, my sweet neighbor Kristen didn't get her to print my lesson for me. I'm, I'm, I'm breathing a little deeper that I do have some paper, but I am going to go ahead and put up here my main, um, the thing that kind of hit me out of this lesson. I'm going to write it up here. Well, if I can find it. Um, and then we're going to kind of talk about it. Faith says, I can't. God can. This is the hard part. Everybody gets that part. And I'm satisfied with the result. Faith doesn't say it. Faith says it. Okay. So faith says, I can't, God can, and I'm satisfied with the result. So we're going to start with that, and then we're going to kind of rewind and talk about Genesis. Um, So three cheers, four cheers, 700 cheers for finishing Genesis strong. We, We have flown through this book of beginnings, and I think we've all gotten a lot out of it. Um, Genesis has been a wild ride, hadn't it? I mean, at times it's truly felt like a soap opera. Um, it has felt um, like a roller coaster. Um, but as I look at the roller coaster of my life and I look at the roller coaster in Genesis, I love adding what we have learned to add in Genesis, but God, right? So with every situation we can take and look at and say, but God. Um, So we're going to dive in and see how God's sovereignty is highlighted in these last three chapters because I think that it really finishes with the broad stroke of God's sovereignty, which is so important um, for us to understand. Our homework had us look up in chapter 11 in Hebrews, and we know how that chapter begins. It gives us a definition of faith. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And by faith, our ancestors, like Jacob, won God's approval. And that chapter goes on to talk about all the people of great faith, doesn't it? Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, all in Genesis. And then it goes and says in verse 21 of Hebrews 11, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning on top of his staff. So, In verse 21 of the New Testament, Jacob is getting the approval of God because when he was dying, he blessed each of his sons of Joseph and he worshipped. What it's saying is Jacob gets it. Jacob has changed. And this is the same Jacob that was holding on to his mama's coattail in the tents that was too scared to go out, right? That same Jacob. It's the same Jacob that marries two women and favors one drastically. It's the same Jacob that doesn't go to where God tells him to go. He stops short. His daughter's raped. He doesn't act. This is the same Jacob who gets God's approval because 
When he was dying, he blessed each of the sons and he worshiped. He gets it. He gets it. And we see he dies with a satisfied life because he, and he is given the nod because, from God because of his faith, because of his faith. His faith was so fully invested in God of his fathers that his last meaningful action he takes on this side of eternity is to worship him by passing on his covenant blessing. We can see that this old man takes charge in his death. This old man that we saw over and over and over again that just waffled, that didn't do the right thing, that wasn't and didn't have a strong character. And we all not annoyed with Jacob. Was I the only one that was totally annoyed with Jacob? I was annoyed with him. But what we see at his deathbed, right, is that he took charge. And we can see that his faith on his deathbed was the triumphant part of his life. We can say that there was no worship that we see, like it was what we know as worship, like singing or whatever, or prayer. But when it says when he leaned over his staff, that was worship. And that's showing faith. Because when we trust God for all of our life, when we give ourselves to him, that's the definition of faith. So faith says, I can't, God can, and I'm satisfied with the result. How can you be more satisfied with your life than that? Jacob dies a satisfied man. And we know the world will tell us that happiness and satisfaction comes from outside ourselves, right? Our spouse, our career, money, status, you name it, our children's successes. But Jesus says that there is nothing outside of ourselves that can satisfy. It's only him. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. That's John six thirty five. So that's a long intro, but I just had to champion Jacob a little bit because he, in my mind, it was cool to see what, not how Jacob pulled himself up by the bootstraps and got it all figured out by the time he died. That's not what he did. God changed Jacob into a man of faith, and on his deathbed, he was able to rest in God's plan for his life. He, God, changed him. So we're going to start with Genesis 1 through 8 of chapter 48. I want you to hear us going to keep going back between Jacob and Israel still at this point. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob said, was told, Look, your son is Joseph is coming to see you. And Israel strengthened him himself, sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful, and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people, and give you this land of your descendants after you, an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they are mine. Your offspring, whom you beget, after them shall be yours, and they will be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was a little distance to go to Ephrath, I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is in Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? So what we see here is he's still going back between Jacob and and Israel, right? He's still waffling back and forth between those two. He is still lamenting over sweet Rachel, who he loves so much. He's still talking about her. And what we're seeing here is that these sons of Joseph who were born in Egypt are going to be adopted by Jacob. That's what this is. They're being adopted by him, and he promises them an inheritance. 
And many people say that this scene, which we don't really understand and kind of can't make sense of them sitting on his knee and then him falling on his face, but all of that really in Hebrew writing, the things that I read, go back to saying that it was just a formal adoption ceremony and that he adopted them. And there are three things I got I want you guys to pick out that kind of jumped on me. And, you know, this is all stuff I read. Anybody could stand up here and teach like I am because all it is is reading, put it together, and spitting it out. So I do want you all to know that anything I'm saying to you all is not because I've had some divine revelation, although God has impressed some things upon my heart. Um, Most everything I'm finding is stuff that I read. But there are three things we should note about this adoption, and I love this first one. Ephraim and Manasseh did nothing to earn their adoption. They did nothing to earn their adoption, just like we do nothing to earn our adoption. They were culturally Egyptian. They were ethnically half Egyptian. And up until Jacob and his 70 family members had come to Egypt, they'd never even seen an Israelite before. And now they're adopted to be Israelites. Um, Just like us, we've done nothing to be adopted into God's kingdom. Number two, although Judah became strong among his brothers and a ruler came from him, the birthright was given to Joseph. Curious. Number three, this adoption shows Jacob's radical reliance on God. He is offering, I mean, get this, y'all, he is offering an inheritance to Ephraim and Manasseh. But let's think about where he is. He is a thousand miles from home in a pagan nation in the middle of a global famine. Does that make sense that you would say, here I am a thousand miles away in a global famine, but yet I feel like I have enough knowledge to tell you what your blessing is going to be? That is showing a radical reliance on God because it doesn't make sense that he could tell Ephraim Ephraim and Manasseh what their blessings were going to be, where he was. Um, So verse 8 says, Then Israel saw Joseph's sons, and he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought him near them, and kissed them, and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down to his face on earth. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim and Manasseh, and his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near. Then Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life, long life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, Bless the lads, let the name be upon them, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of all of the earth. Wow. Listen to all those gods that Jacob is saying. All those times, he knows who God is. God before the fathers, who my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. The God who has fed me all my life. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. This is a man that trusts, that trusts in God. Um, and isn't it interesting that he brings them so close so he can see which child is which? Because he knows which child is which. He's not doing this unknowingly, even though we know when we think back to how he got his birthright, he manipulated it. But at this point in time, he understands 
because he's listening to what the Lord has told him to do. And he wants to be real clear because he's following the Lord's direction. Now, we could probably start a whole nother Bible study on the whys. He crossed his arm and on the why he did the younger son, bless the younger son and on the older son. I don't really have a clear, clear answer for that. Um, one thing said, you know, that he realized that the last will become first and the first shall become last. I don't know that we can make an argument for that, but I think what we can for sure make an argument about is that Jacob obeyed. This was divine and exactly what God wanted. He drew them close. He wanted this to be like this. He crossed his arms. But I'm just going to say, if I'm Joseph, I'm trying to switch those arms back too. I get Joseph's heart and all this, but I understand that Jacob was listening to the Lord. Um, And I think what this tells us here again, which is just so interesting, is that the Lord's ways are not our ways, right? The Lord's ways are not our ways. Joseph is not okay with this, but Jacob is okay because he has a faith and he has an understanding that God doesn't always work in the way we want him to, and faith is okay with that. Jacob understands that he's, he's satisfied with the result, even though that's probably not God's ways weren't his ways in this, exa- in this example. And this is coming from a man who, again, manipulated his own birthright. Um, this was the first place where God is referred to as a shepherd. And Jacob was a shepherd, and he knows what his job is. And I love that. I thought the, how sweet that this was the first example where he talks about God being a shepherd. I loved that. Joseph stops to correct Jacob and says it displeases him. Um, but, he, he, but again, this is he, all the prophecy he'd gotten from the Lord. Um, and then verse, we're going to keep going, verse 21, jump down to verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be, be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. And he says here again that God will be with you. He understands this. And if we look back and all the other times, in chapter 28, 15, God said to Jacob, I am with you. 31, 3, God said again to him, I will be with you. 31, 5, Jacob acknowledged, God has been with me. 35, 3, God has been with me. And then here in 48, God will be with you. How sweet is that? How sweet is this relationship between God and Jacob? Don't forget that we worship the same God that had the same relationship between Jacob and God. I think that that's awesome. Um, chapter 29, you know, it got a little dicey for me. I, um, I, I, I was reading it. You know, you're reading about Reuben and that firstborn. And again, keep in mind, I have four boys. So all this, this stuff gets a little dicey for me when everybody's, some are getting blessings and some seem like they're getting curses. Um, and he starts off so strong talking about Reuben. But then he goes down to talk about he's as unstable as water. And I thought, that's terrible. And isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? Isn't that really how, what we've seen of Jacob the whole time? He was unstable as water. He waffled. But yet he's talking about this of his firstborn. It's hard for me. Again, these are prophecies from the Lord. You have to remind yourself that. Then he goes into Simeon. We're not going to get into too many details about these girls because I think, again, we just get bogged down in the details. But he does go into Simeon and Levi. He combines their prophecy. He talks about their vengeance that they had and how that was really unforgivable at that time. Um, and it, it separates them um, because of the murders that they did. Um, then we go in, we get to Judah, and we finally get to one that's honorable. And so we see in all of these that Judah and Joseph's prophecies or blessings given by Jacob were the longest. 
We know that Judah is in the tribe, right? And he's in the line of Jesus. And we know that Joseph is the type of Jesus, right? Um, so that's one reason why these are the longest. But Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah's a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and he shall be the obedience of his people. Binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth are whiter than milk. What an interesting description that he gives to Judah. And there's so many things in this little thing that point to Jesus, right? I know y'all saw that. The scepter is a reference to royalty. It will, it will, it will stay in his hand until it comes to the one that will, to whom it belongs. He's talking about the king of kings. Then we see the donkey reference, right? And we know that Jesus rode in on a donkey, that's prophetic. We know in Revelation that his that Jesus or that shown that his garments are washed in wine, and in Revelation it says they're dripped in blood. There's lots of references from Revelation from Genesis. So we see when we read Genesis, there's a lot of things that were from Genesis. Um, and then we're going to skip on down, even though I know we're skipping some things. Issachar, Dan, Naphtali. We're skipping all those. I kind of liked the one that was going to have the royal delicacies. Um, I wonder what that meant. Did that mean that like he's going to be a good cook, or did that mean he's always going to eat well? Okay, verse 22, Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength. The arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, blessings of your Father, have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Oh, how sweet is that? Again, you hear all the names for the Lord in that, and you hear such strong verbiage that's given for Joseph. And how cool that Joseph was standing hearing this from his father, who he hadn't seen for years and years. He never thought he would even see him again. And he's hearing these words given to him that are from the Lord. I just thought that had to have been an amazing experience to be there. Um, but we know that there were 12 tribes, right? There were 12 tribes of Israel. And if you kind of do the math, and this might get a little too detailish for some of you, it did me, but um, if, if Ephraim and Manasseh are getting grafted in, then that means we've got to have two that are going out. So Simeon actually ends up not getting land, right? So he kind of gets absorbed. And then Levi, the Levites, he becomes um, a priest, right? So you take away those two and you add in, not Joseph, but you add in Ephraim and Manasseh. So that's how you really get down to the twelve. And the number 12, I read, um, signifies completeness. Um, so then we get to Jacob's death. And then he charged them, he said to them, I'm gathered to my people, bury, with, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim and the Hittite. In the cave is in the field of Machpelah, that, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, 
which Abraham bought with the field of with the field of Ephron the Hittite, a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah. What'd they say? His wife, not his sister. They said it again. And there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, not his sister. And there I buried Leah. Sweet Leah. What kind of cow was it, Ingram? An old cow. And she's dignified in her death here. And Jacob is buried with her. I thought that was sweet. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last, and he was gathered to his people. Wow, that's it. That was Joseph's life. He is gone. He gave his blessing. He was satisfied. He completely had faith. We saw a man whose faith had been unstable as water. He'd gone from switching names from Jacob to Israel. But on his death, we see a man that knows the Lord. We see a man whose faith is, is so sweet, so sweet enough that it's acknowledged in Hebrews 11 and given the approval of God as a man of faith. I love that. So how does Joseph respond? It says, he, fo- he fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants and the physicians to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such of the days are required for those who are to be embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him for 70 days. Okay, you cannot argue God's sovereignty that Jacob happened to die in a country thousands of miles away from where he wanted to be buried in a country who people flat out made an art of the dead people. I mean, how cool is that? They embalmed him. I mean, where is it? What, where is it now that we can see Egyptian mummies that are still there? I mean, these guys knew how to embalm people. It took 40 days to embalm Jacob. And why? Because he's going to be carried back. We know in the next next chapters, he's going to be carried back to the promised land. But how cool is God that he, that he died where he could also be embalmed? I just thought that was really cool. Um, Jews actually now, even today, are buried within 24 hours. So you think about how sovereign this was even back then that he was buried there. But he wants to be buried in Canaan. Um, clearly, nobody does death like the Egyptians. Um, verse 4, Now when the days of his mourning were past, Jacob spoke to the house of Pharaoh, saying, If I found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear by saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And the Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he has made you swear. How sweet. This Pharaoh knows Joseph and he trusts Joseph. He doesn't just trust Joseph that he's going to go and do what his dad wanted him to do, right? He also trusts that Joseph is going to come back. And I thought that was really sweet because if you look ahead in Exodus, um, as Jen had me do, you look ahead in Exodus, it says, and then there became a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And that's when everything starts. It's a real pivot point for those people, for the Egyptian, I mean, for the Israelites in Egypt when the Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph anymore. But I thought this is sweet. This Pharaoh knows him, and he trusts him that he's going to go, and he trusts him that he's going to come back. Um, and then those brothers, you just got to just love the brothers. Jump down to 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us, and we will actually repay all the evil for which we did to him. 
So they sent messages to Joseph saying, We have big fat lie to tell you. Before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of the servants of God, your father. And what did Joseph do when he heard that big fat lie? It says he wept when he spoke to them. He wept. He wept because in his mind, the time of manipulation and all the trickery and all that stuff is over. In his mind, that's not, that's not how, what he's seeing anymore. He's not seeing that in the brothers. He doesn't want them to rely on all that trickery. And he cries. He cries for the state of their heart at that time. Um, he's saying that the years of the deception have passed. Verse 18, Then the brothers also went and fell down before his sweat. Before his face. Ding, 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 ding. Do y'all remember? What was the dream? What was the dream? Then the brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. I love that. It's the first thing he says to them. Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? For am I in the place of God? I love that. That's a question that Joseph is asking. But we can ask ourselves that, right? Because do we have the kind of faith that says, I can't, God can, and I'm satisfied with the result? That's what faith is. But we want to put ourselves in the place of God, right? I mean, the best example I can come up with is just a mom. And I can say, okay, I birthed them. I will choose your friends. I will choose your school. I will choose your career. I will choose your spouse. I will choose how many times we talk. I will choose how you respond to me. I know all things. I have Google. I, 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 right? We want to put ourselves in that place of God. But what did Joseph say? Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Joseph knows his place because why? He knows his God. He knows his God. And he goes on to say, But as for you, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is to this day, to save many people alive. Uh, that makes sense. To save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and he spoke to them kindly. I love that. Um, he says, you know, this is just Romans eight twenty eight, isn't it? That God's going to work out the details. All things are for good. He's going to work out those details just like he did for Joseph. And... Um, when we del- I'm gonna skip down. Joseph is a story where we can see where God works out the details. And we might not get to see the details. That's kind of the hard part, right? This is a story in the Bible where we get to see the ending. We get to see how it played out. But we may not get to see how it plays out in our own lives. We may not get to see that. But we have the same relationship with the same God. We get to have the same relationship with the same God that Joseph did. And I love that. In verse 22, it says Joseph was buried. He lived 111, 110 years before he died. Abraham, 175. Isaac, 180. Jacob, 147. What? Run the math. That's like saying that Jacob died at 50. But he was such a, I mean, that Joseph died at 50. Why not give the good guy a little longer? I don't know. God's ways are not our ways. But it was a short life, but it was well lived. He did the best um, with the time that he had. So let's flip over to Hebrews 11. Or y'all don't have to. I'm going to read it to you anyway. Hebrews 11, 
21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of these sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. These two men have faith that was written down in the book of life. They had that kind of faith. I think that as we've looked at Genesis, and we're looking at, right, ladies? I mean, we're living in an unstable time. Do you think the stock market was crashing when all these people had to go to Egypt to get money? I bet it was. Their stock market was crashing. We're living in an unstable time, right? The coronavirus, scary. It's everywhere. Um, I think the media, I think, I mean, we're just living in an unstable time. The economy, all of it, right? But what is faith? Faith is... I can't, God can, and I'm satisfied with the result. I know all you guys have been seeing so many of the funny clips about the people, you know, that are dressed in head to toe, um, hazmat suits and all that. And I'm not going to the Atlanta airport and let my children lick on the armrest. We are all going to have common sense. But at the same time, we have faith, right? We have faith. This, what we just studied, was a global crisis. They were in a global crisis. And what we see come out of that and during this time was a faith in a God that is sovereign, that is trustworthy, that will walk with us every step of the way. God will be with us. He's promised that he will never leave us. Um, And I think that I'm going to close with this verse because this is what we want said about us, right? This is 12. If you keep going down to 12, this is after the Hall of Fame of Faith, and this is Hebrews 12. Therefore, we also, who's the we? This is us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these are all the people we just talked about, that we just have learned about their faith and how they trusted the Lord. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Ladies, we can have faith. Faith is a gift. Um, I have loved going through Genesis. I have loved learning about this faith. I have loved being reminded time and time again of God's sovereignty. Doesn't your anxiety go from here to here? When you know and you're reminded that God is in control, I'm going to close with that. We'll pray. Lord, thank you so much for this book of Genesis. Thank you for the study and the time we've spent in it. Thank you for the details um, that we understand. And Lord, the details that we don't, that we one day will understand. Thank you that your word is inspired and we can trust it. Thank you for the faith that we've seen in these men of old. Um, But thank you for the faith, too, that you give us. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest knowing that your ways are not our ways, but we can rest in your sovereignty. Thank you, Lord, that the recipe for anxiety is your sovereignty and your grace and your peace and your mercy and how much you love us. In all this we pray. Amen.